hey, it is time for kids' church. So fifth grade and under, Chelsea and Noah are waiting for you. And so you guys go have a great time. Hey, Tommy, uh, there's an old rule of thumb that whoever speaks last gets to laugh last. And so just remember that. I'm going to hold off for now because I'm not thinking quick enough today. But... Um, but I'll, I'll, I won't forget that. And Tommy, you've obviously never been to a Southern Baptist revival because I'm fairly certain that Just As I Am has like 18 verses. Because any revival that I've ever been to, and maybe we just sing all seven of them two or three times, but um, anyway. Hey, we've been talking about how to be free, and we've been talking specifically about a section of Scripture in the New Testament that, that remains really kind of a mystery to a lot of Christians through, throughout their entire Christian experience. Now, now, the guy who wrote this passage of Scripture and who actually wrote most of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul, which you probably knew that. But whenever Paul wrote a letter, he did something that's kind of interesting. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but the first half of almost all of his letters is, is usually theological. So you, you read through uh, the first parts uh, of his letters, and, and it's all of this like in him and, in, and through him and Christ in me and all of that kind of stuff. And you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't understand any of that. But the second half of most of his letters is, is very practical. And, and that's kind of like, okay, we got through the heavy stuff. Now here's the good stuff. Here's the stuff that I understand. It's all this stuff, you know, about how to treat people and what we're supposed to think about and how husbands ought to be and how wives ought to be. And, and there's even uh, children obey your parents tucked in there for parents. And there's all of this just practical stuff. And so when we read through our New Testaments, we, read, we wade through that heavy theological part. And it's just like, you know, I'm sure somebody understands this. It's not me, but somebody does. But then we get to the, the practical stuff, and we say, okay, now this is stuff I can digest. This is stuff that I can do. And so then we go out, and because we're Christians, we, we try and do it. And we're really good at it for about a week. And then we come to church, and we hear somebody like me say, the Scripture says, or the Bible says, or God says, or Jesus says. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you know what, I need to do that stuff. But, but you don't. Because it's hard, right? We talked about that two weeks ago. You know, just it, life is hard sometimes, and, and we don't always do the things that we're supposed to do. And then we say, but there's, there's good news, right? Because at night I can pray before I go to bed, and I can say, dear God, please forgive me of all of my sins. Because I know what they are, because I go to church, and every week they tell me what I should and what I shouldn't do. And so I know what, what they are, and I know exactly what I'm doing wrong. So, so God, please forgive me. And then we're told that, that God... He, he forgives all of our sins, and so he takes our big sin bucket, and he just empties it out. And so now we've got this big, empty sin bucket, and you know what we do with it? We pick it up the next day, and we go right back out, and we fill it back up. And, and then what happens? One day, we die, and we go to heaven, and it's great, right? But when you read the letters of Paul, he's going, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not that way at all. The Christian life isn't simply about, about doing the best that you can, knowing that you're disappointing God on an hourly basis, and then just trying to get all of your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven when you die. There's way more to it than that. In fact, Paul would say, I think that we could summarize what Paul taught in his letters this way. He, he might say this, that sin doesn't control where you go when you die. Now, now that's the part of the gospel that we, we hear all the time. If you accept Jesus, you, you go to heaven when you die. Unfortunately for most people, that's all of the gospel that, that they ever hear, that they ever experience in their Christian life. But Paul says that's only a part of it. In fact, he would say that it's a small part of it. Sin doesn't control where you go when you die, and sin doesn't have to control what you do while you live. That's the other part of it that I think oftentimes we miss, is that sin doesn't control where you go when you die, and it doesn't have to control what you do when you live. And so in the second part of, of all of Paul's letters... 
especially in the, in the letter to the Romans, he explains in very technical, theological terms the fact that you can actually live free from the power of sin in your life. And here's what he would say. He would say, you're not the person that you used to be. So why would you continue to live the way that you used to live? Once you've placed your faith in Christ, once you've become a Christian, you're you're a brand new person. The old person has died, right? The old, old things have passed, and behold, all things are made new. Like maybe you've heard that verse before. So why would you continue to live the way that you used to live? So what we're doing in this series, in this four-part series, in week one we looked at, at Paul's explanation of the problem. Paul says, here's what I believe is, 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 is your problem. Here's what I believe explains our, our strange and weird behavior. And then for the last couple of weeks, we, we've been talking about the solution to that problem. And, and the one thing that we can all identify with is Paul's struggle with sin. We, we might say our struggle with temptation. Um, and here's how he describes it in, in Romans chapter 7. And, and like I said in the very first week of this series, I love this passage of Scripture because whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe that Scripture is true or not, everybody can identify with this passage of Scripture. Paul says this, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Don't raise your hand if that's you. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Right? I mean, ever been on a diet? Like, there's how many of us have done that before? He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And here's what I know is true about all of us, is that that's been your experience at some level in your life. It's been my experience as well. And that's so odd, isn't it? I mean, why is it that we can't just stop doing the stuff that we're not supposed to do? Why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? Here's the thing. You have to have an answer for that question, and you have an answer for that question. If I were to sit down with you over a cup of coffee one day and say, hey, this deal that you've got going on over there that, that your wife wishes you wouldn't do, that, that you've tried to stop doing, or, or here's a habit, here's an addiction, and, and you know you just keep doing that thing that's driving your parents crazy, that's driving your spouse crazy. Why is it that you keep doing those things? Why is it that you keep doing the things that you shouldn't do? You, you have an answer for that. And Paul is about to give us his explanation. He continues. He says this, verse 20 of chapter 7. He says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, It is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Here's here's what he said, and this is what we talked about in the first week. That that we were all born in Adam. That that there really was a man named Adam, and and he lived, and and he was the first person ever, ever to live, right? And he sinned, and he brought sin into the world. And because of his sin, we were all born in Adam. We all lived in sin. And so he introduced sin. And so we're just going to put sin right there. Like that's, he, Paul talks about how he brought sin into the world. And Paul would argue that, that because of that, we're not inherently good people, right? Paul would argue that there's not a good person that occasionally does bad things. That more realistically, we're bad people who occasionally do good things, right? This, this is supposed to really make you feel better about yourself today. Which, but if you think about that, it really makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because I can understand why a bad person would occasionally do something good. Because uh, you can do something good to gain something for yourself. So, so it makes sense that bad people would occasionally do good things. But why would a good person ever do a bad thing? I mean, why would a fundamentally good person ever do a bad thing? Paul says it's because there aren't any fundamentally good people. That we were all born in Adam. We were all born in Adam. And when Adam sinned, he brought sin into the world. And Paul talks about how sin entered the world. He, he talks about sin as if sin is a noun, he, as a thing. He personifies sin. 
that Adam brought sin into the world. And so when he talks about temptation, when he talks about the struggle, you know, that I know what I'm supposed to do, I know what I want to do, but, but here's what I do instead. He says, what you're wrestling with isn't simply temptation. It's not just simply a concept. What, what you're wrestling with is an entity. It's a, it's a thing. What you're wrestling with is sin. And then he goes on to say this. He says that when you become a Christian, you're actually taken out of Adam. Right? You're taken out of Adam and, and you become a Christian. You are placed into Christ. Right? So, so for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing all of this. We've been dumping ourselves out of Adam because we're not in Adam anymore and we are in Christ. And he would say that, that when you were in Adam, what was, what was true of Adam is true of you. But when you become a Christian, when you are placed in Christ, what was true of Christ in the past is now true of you for the future. Bobby described it last week that, that this way, that if, if your old boss, you know, you had a boss that you quit working for and he calls you to come to work, says, hey, I need you to come into work early this morning, right? You're not going, are you? Right? Because that boss doesn't have any control over you anymore. That boss doesn't have any authority over you anymore. And so you're not going to go to that. Consequently, we, we ended this last week, we would say that sin is not my master. Because once we're, placed, once we're taken out of Adam and we're placed into Christ, sin is no longer our master. Because I am in Christ. I am dead to sin. But I am alive to God. So last week we ended, and, and Bobby had, had you whisper this, right? He said, he had you whisper, sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. And then he gave you some homework. He said, he said this week as, as, you're, as you're out and about and you're doing things and you're tempted to sin. He said, go ahead and sin, right? Maybe, maybe he didn't say that. Maybe, he said, he said but, but think about it. Before you act on that sin, before you act on that temptation, he told you, just whisper, sin is not my master. Or, or say it out loud. However you needed to, to hear it communicated to you, to, to, to verbalize that, that sin is not my master. Because it's not just a matter of a temptation. It's not just a matter of, a, of an addiction it's, or, or a bad habit. Paul says that there's an entity called sin. And the reason that you can't do what you ought to do is because you have lived as a slave to sin. But if you've been taken out of Adam and you've been placed into Christ, sin is no longer your master. And so that gets us to where we are today. And so today we're going to answer the question, so what? And now what? So what? In Romans 6, Paul begins to tell us what we ought to do with all this crazy theology, this, this new way of thinking. And I want to go ahead and I want to give you three words that are going to kind of outline the passage of Scripture that we're going to read uh, over the next little bit. And the three words are this, declare, decide, devote. Declare, decide, devote. 3D. This should be easy to remember. Declare, decide, devote. In fact, let's just say those words together. Declare, decide, devote. If you're at home watching uh, online, say it with us again because we're going to do it one more time. Let's say it again. Declare, decide, devote. He's going to tell us that we need, some, we need to declare something. That, that's review. And then he's going to tell us that there's something that we've got to decide. And then he's going to challenge us to add a new level to, to devote something. And so here we go, Romans chapter 6, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to start at verse 9. Paul writes this, he says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. That is, once you, once you die and you're raised from the dead, you, you don't get to die again. He conquered the power of sin. He, sin couldn't hold him in the grave, right? We know all of that. He said, death no longer has mastery over him. Jesus conquered sin and he, and he conquered death. And then he says, verse 10, he says that de- the death that he died on the cross, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So he says this, when, when Christ died, Christ didn't simply die to this life. 
Christ died to the power of sin. The power of sin was broken. And, and when he came back to life, sin, sin no longer had any hold on him. There was no attachment to sin. Jesus was completely free from any of the powers of the impediments of sin. He had lived a perfect life and, and he broke the final power of sin, death, right? Because remember, on the tail of sin is always what? It's, it's always death. Sin all, death always follows sin. And so now having given us this, this big theological confusing bunch of verses, he turns the corner and he says this. He says, here's what you got to do with this. Here's what you need to begin to do. And this is where we left off last week. He says, in the same way, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves. J- just like Jesus came out of the grave dead to sin, you are now in Christ. And since Christ has died to sin, you must now count yourself. You must consider yourself dead to sin because you are now in Christ who was dead to sin. He says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, now this, this little word count, it's actually an accounting term. It's a mathematical term. And it really means to, to consider, to accept, to believe, to factor in. We're going to use the word declare. I, I like that word. We're going to use the word declare. Here's what Paul's telling us. That as you, as you move ahead, as you are embracing this teaching, as you begin to try and understand the, the significance of what happened for you when Christ died for your sin and you accepted his payment as payment for your sin, he says the first thing that you've got to do is you've got to believe this. You, you've got to accept this. So we're going to use the word declare, that, that you need to begin to, to declare that sin is not your master. Because God said that you are, you are not in sin anymore, that sin is not your master, that Christ has broken the power of sin. And regardless of whether you've ever experienced this in your life or not, the first step in applying these powerful, powerful truths is to believe this. So we're going to use the word declare, to declare that sin is no longer my master. So last week... Um, just like we did last week, I, w- I want you to repeat after me. Sin is not my master. Alright, like if, that, if that's all the conviction we got in that, like we just go home now because the rest of this ain't going to do us any good. Like we got to have a little more conviction of that. If you really believe that sin is not my master, we need to say it like sin is not my master. Because I'm telling you, when you go out of this building and you're tempted and you say sin's not my master, and that's all the conviction you got, well... Guess what? You're still going to be living right here. All right? Let's say it again with some conviction this time. Sin is not my master. And then he goes on. He says, since sin is not your master, since, since you're going to begin considering yourself or believing and, and counting yourself dead to sin, he says this. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Paul says, you, you realize that when you allow sin to reign in your body, when you say yes to sin, you're letting sin reign. Sin does not reign over you, okay? We need to be clear about that. Sin doesn't reign over you. Sin only reigns over you in your life when you let sin reign over your life. Once again, he reminds us to, to think about sin as sort of this intangible, this personification of evil, this, this it, this, this thing. And so he says, therefore, do not let it sin Reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So, so to move the discussion forward, I want to ask you a question. And here's the question. When, when you wrestle with sin or with, with temptation, what, what side of the argument do, do you identify with? When, when you wrestle with sin, temptation, which side of the argument? Because there's this argument, and you, and you know how it is. You know, that I shouldn't, but I want to. I, I need to take that, but I shouldn't take that. I, I shouldn't text her back, but I'm going to text her back. I, I shouldn't watch this. I shouldn't click on that, but I'm going to do all that. You know, all of that. Which side do you identify with? Which side do you feel like is the you version of that argument? Let, let me put it in other words. When you wrestle with sin, do you wrestle with it from the standpoint of being an Adam? 
or being in Christ. Because if you wrestle with it from the standpoint of, of being in Adam, uh, this is how that sounds. It says, well, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, I, I've been kind of prone to this all my life. Well, well this, my, my mom had this issue and, and my sister had this issue and so I've got this issue and, and this is just the how I was raised and, and my mama didn't do this for me when I was little and my daddy didn't do that when I was little and, and this is just how I was raised. And right, or, or, or maybe it's, you know, all women are like this or all men are like this. Or, or hey, I'm, I'm just a freshman in college, give me a break, right? See what happens? When, when you argue from that standpoint, you're arguing from the standpoint of sin. This is who you used to be. And you will lose that argument every single time because you've identified as somebody that you're not. Somehow the goodness and the righteousness of God stands far apart from us and when, when we've identified ourselves with sin. But I'm telling you, it becomes a whole different struggle. And, and we're going to go deep into this next week, so don't miss next week. But, but it becomes a completely different kind of struggle when, when you argue from the si- standpoint of identifying in Christ and not in Adam. When you identify with, with the fact that you've been placed in Christ, that you are a new creation. Because, because now the struggle is more like this. Is that sin is trying to rule me. That, that sin is trying to conquer me. That sin is still thinking it has some power over me. This is sin trying to rule my life. And I know that in the shadow of sin is death. And I'm telling you what, I've had enough death in my life. I've had enough death in my marriage. I've had enough death with my kids. I've had enough death with my finances. I've had enough sin in my life. Why in the world would anybody who's been set free from sin continue to walk in sin? Why would you, if you've been set free from sin, why would you continue to live in it? Why would I continue to embrace something that's going to hurt me? Because I've been set free from sin, right? I'm in Christ and the death that he died once and for all. I'm a part of that once and for all. Here's my point. That when you struggle, and you do, we all do, right? When you're tempted, when you find yourself in that raging battle of, oh, oh, here's that issue again, right? It's that again. In that moment, you choose, whether you recognize it or not, you choose which side of the equation you're going to identify with. And which side of the equation that you identify with has everything to do with the outcome. And as long as you identify with, well, I'm, I'm a sinner, I can't help it, nobody's perfect, this is, this is just the way men are, this is just the way women are, my, my husband did this, my, his father did that, it's, you know, what do you expect from me? As long as you identify with who you used to be, you will always continue to behave the way you've always behaved. And so Paul says, therefore, do not let, because you have a choice. You can say no to you. You can say, say no to sin because the power of sin has been broken. You are in a new family, and sin, it can knock on the door. It can ring the doorbell. It can text you. It can send you a Facebook friend request. It can do all of that, it, and, and, and you have the power, the potential to say, I'm not going to let you rule my life and influence my life anymore. So that gets us to the second word, decide we got to decide not to let sin rule our lives. So what do we do? We, we declare, sin's not my master. It's just not anymore. I might hack like it sometimes, but, but it's just not my master anymore. And since sin is not my master, I've decided not to let sin rule my life anymore. I've had enough death in my life. And so he goes on. He says, do not offer, as in, as in here, have some. He says, do not offer any part. And literally, he's talking about body parts. In fact, there's another place in, in his letters where he talked about the members of your physical body, the members of your, of your mortal body. He's talking about legs, ears, eyes, noses, mouth. He says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. And you see this all the time. Paul, Paul's sort of graphic here. He's going, come on, you're walking down the street, and it's like, oh, here she comes. And sin says, I'd like to borrow your eyes. Sure, right? Hey, hey I want to borrow your hands. Can, can I borrow your mind? 
I want to borrow your feet. I want to go over there. I want to borrow your feet and take your body over there, right? Here's what Paul's saying, and this is so powerful. He's saying, do not offer, do not allow, do not loan any member of your physical body to sin anymore. That means that when we're walking down the street, you can say, no sin, you can't have my eyes. No sin, you're not going to have my thumb so that I send a text that I shouldn't send. No, no, no sin, you're not going to have my feet because I'm not going to walk over there. Your feet, you're not going to allow me to move where I shouldn't go. I'm not going to give you my mind because sin, you're not my master anymore. I'm not going to let you rule my life anymore. So I'm not going to give you my hands, my feet, my arms, any member of my physical body because I am free from your power. And I'm not going to let you bring any more death into my life. So Paul says this, he says, Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Instead of offering the members of your physical body to sin, he says, why don't you just offer them to God, right? When when you were in Adam, it it was almost like you had no choice but, but to offer the members of your body to sin because sin was in you. But when you've been placed into Christ, when you have been moved from Adam into Christ, you now have a privilege. And I don't care what your mama was like, and I don't care what your daddy was like, and if he was there or he wasn't there, and all the patterns of life that you've been raised in, and everything that everybody's telling you that you just got to do it this way, right? I don't care about any of that. God says, no, you don't have to live that way anymore. You have this opportunity to live the kind of life that, that you, where you actually offer and surrender parts of your physical body to your Heavenly Father. And look what he says. He says, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So that gets us to our third D word, the word devote. Devote your body to God. Now, you might expect this from a preacher, but but like some of you, I have a morning devotion time. And I've got a little routine that I go through. As part of my routine, I actually have a little miniature version of this where, where literally, it, while I'm praying, I'll just say, God, I submit my body to you as an instrument of your righteousness. Now, I get that's a little King James, but, but I grew up in a King James church. And so, so that's just that's the version of the prayer I pray. And I will oftentimes pray, God, I give you my hands today because at some point I know sin is going to ask for my hands. And I, I want to know now that I am devoting my hands to you. I'm going to give you my eyes because at some point... Sin is going to want my eyes, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to start this day giving them to you. I'm going to give you my feet because I know at some point sin is going to want to take me somewhere where I don't want to go. So I've just got to remember that I've already devoted my feet to you. God, I'm going to triple devote my mouth to you because sometimes my mouth likes to run, and it gets me in some trouble. Sometimes I can be, you know, I can say really nice things with my mouth, but oftentimes I can destroy people with my mouth. And so, God, I'm just going to go ahead and devote my mouth to you so that when sin says, hey, just go ahead and say it. Or when sin says, hey, it'll be really funny, everybody will laugh, go ahead and say it. Or or, go ahead and say it, they'll never bring it up again, right? I can say, sin, no, you're not my master anymore. I don't have to let you control me. And besides, I've already devoted my mouth to God who brought me out of death and into life. So I want to encourage you, just try that. Just try that. Wake up every morning and and devote your body, your physical body to God. Look, you can do other stuff in the morning, but Paul says, would you you make this declaration a reality in your everyday physical life? Would you declare something and then decide something and then devote yourself to, to devote your body to your physical body to God? Because if you do, it has all the power in the world to change your world. It has the potential to make all the difference in the world. I remember when I decided I was going to go into ministry. I was uh, 
junior, senior in high school, and I, I'll just be honest, I wasn't a super spiritual Christian at that point in my life. I wouldn't say that I am now either, but um, that was one of my real hang-ups too about going into ministry was, was I'm just an average Christian. Like I, I'm just an average Christian. I, I'm not super spiritual. I, I don't do what I ought to do a lot. And, and so I, that was one of the things that really was kind of a pushback for me. And then in one of my early semesters at Louisville Bible College, one of my professors was, was talking about this idea, and for the first time in my life, it began to make sense to me. But here was the thing that just kind of pushed me over the edge in a, in a, in a positive way. It, it was like the idea that Paul, what Paul describes in Colossians 3. Here's the verse. He wrote this, Paul, Paul writing, and he, he writes this in all of his letters, verse, Colossians 3, verse 2. He says, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. And when I read that, and, and even today, but especially when I was younger, when I, I would read that, I'm like, that's not helpful. You know, that, that's just not helpful. I've been trying that. That's just another to-do thing, right? That's just another thing that makes me feel like a hypocrite. It's one of these things that I ought to do, but I don't do. Set your minds on things above. I just, I, I, I fell there, right? But he didn't stop there. He says, for you have died. And it was like, what? Wait, there's a, there's a disconnect right, right here. This is, this is the practical. I, I get it, you know, set your mind on, on, on things above. I know I'm supposed to think about good things, right? He says, but for you have died for, as, as in this is an explanation, this is a connecting thought. He says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But then it was the next phrase that just kind of really made things register for me. In verse 4 it says, when Christ, who is our life, and then, for the first time, it, it kind of dawned on me that, that this is it. I can't live the Christian life. O- only one person can do that. Jesus, right? Christ. So, so as long as I'm striving to live up to a standard, as long as I'm, I'm trying to be everything that the Bible says that I'm to be and uh, to be accountable and, and to be perfect and, and don't think about this and don't do that and don't have a bad attitude and be more generous and be all of these things, as long as I'm trying to imitate Christ, I, I'm going to fail. I, I'm going to fail. I... I I need to learn how to allow this life that has been given to me now that, now that I'm in Christ. I need to, to learn to allow that life to radiate through me. I need to learn to allow the Christ to live his life through me. And I'm telling you that since that day, I mean, this was a game changer for me. Since that day, I've never sinned again, right? Yeah, my, my wife's here. She'll tell you that's not true. But, but just let me tell you, tell you this. When... When we finally get what we've been talking about, when we get this that I'm free to live in Christ, I'm free from the power of sin, when we get that in here and it goes from in here to in here, I'm telling you, it's a a whole new grid. Because when you open up the book of Romans, you open up the book of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and, and all this stuff that Paul has written, and you begin to read those first few chapters, it's like, oh, this isn't just something else about how to live a better life. And how to be a better person and to be a better husband or to be a better wife. He's going, no, 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 no. You you literally are not the person that you used to be. So you can't continue to live the way that you used to live. It's not a matter of just trying harder. Because your old self is dead. It's dead. Your life in Adam is never going to be capable of living the Christian life. The the life of Christ. Your your brand new life that you have in Christ is something that you've got to learn to, to allow to happen through you. So it means that you wake up every day and you say, of course I can't. Of course I can't, but God, you can. 
God, you can. It means every day when I'm tempted to realize that, that, wait a minute, sin is not my master, so I don't have to let sin reign in my body. In fact, I have this freedom now to, to devote every part of my body to my new master who has promised to live his life through me, through my mouth and my hands and my arms and my feet and my ears and my mind. I'm telling you, it's a completely different way of viewing the Christian life. And so here's what I'm going to suggest today. You start by, every day, by declaring something that you've never experienced before. That sin is not my master. And I'm going to decide not to let sin rule over me. And, and today, Heavenly Father, I want to devote every part of my body to you. So, so, Jesus, would you live your life through me? Let me pray for us.